And welcome along to Beyond. If you have jumped in this week, you should know that we're not currently in any series. We're actually uh, hitting off some one-off messages. And the thing about one-off messages is that you don't need to have any prior knowledge about anything uh, that happened last week or the week before. And just so you know as well, whenever you step into this church, you don't need any prior knowledge about anything or anything before the week before, or anything about the Bible, in fact. Uh, because this week, I really want to dive into uh, this idea. And this might be something that you've thought about before. But I want to dive into this idea of what it actually takes to be a hero. I don't know if you've ever answered or tried to answer this question for yourself. If someone asked you this question when you're in grade one of what you want to be when you're older, and the generic answer is, well, Superman wouldn't be a bad idea. Superman wouldn't be a bad idea at all. In fact, uh, part of this message and part of the reason I really want to unpack this idea of how to be a hero uh, is because there is a movie that I have watched about 12 times, 12 times on the dot. It's Amazing Spider-Man Two. If you've seen Amazing Spider-Man 2, you know that Andrew Garfield is in it. He plays Spider-Man. He plays Peter Parker. And then there is this lovely blessing that has been gifted to the world that is Emma Stone. And if you know Emma Stone how I know Emma Stone, you know that she's not only a terrific actor, she's, she's a terrific person. And you know what? I'm going to go for it. If Emma Stone, if you're out listening to this SoundCloud one day, my number is 0418785332. Emma, if you're there, I'm here and I'd love to take you out for a coconut hot chocolate. However... This whole idea of how to be a hero is always something that's really intrigued me. So I thought today we kind of unpack this kind of like a, a uni course. You, you first step into a uni class that superheroes would take. We're calling it How to Hero 101. And if you know about this hero generation that's been popping up in films, popping up in movies, popping up in TV series, you know this superhero theme is something that's starting to get pretty big. And maybe you've heard this premise before that, that heroes are just ordinary people who do extraordinary things. See, for me, like, I like that concept because it seems like anyone can kind of be a hero. But at the same time, surely there's some agenda, surely there's some recipe, some ingredients that you have to put together in order to make a hero, in order to create a hero. So today we're going to unravel and go through these four stages, these four stages of how to hero. And stage one looks at this idea that all heroes No, heroes always land in a position of knowing. See, heroes discover the principles for fulfilling their potential. And if you look at a hero like Spider-Man, you know that, oddly enough, Spider-Man's potential when he starts off as Peter Parker in the first movie, he's so far away from his potential. If anything, he doesn't even seem to be the underdog that often pops up in our superhero movies. If anything, uh, Peter Parker, played by Andrew Garfield, is just this very, very normal person, this brainiac, uh, smart student. But it's not until our superheroes start this quest in which they have to endure adversity, these difficult circumstances, that there's nothing really special about them until they go from this ordinary world into this extraordinary realm. And initially in the beginnings of these movies, in the beginning of these quests or these plots, our heroes always uh, suffer this refusal to call. They refuse to step up into their potential. And their initial denial, their modesty, they hesitate, it frustrates us because we know their potential. We know their abilities and we know their gifts and where they can go. So our hero in this circumstance may go seek a mentor, they may go seek a Yoda. And it's not until these situations worsen and continue to get worse until our hero actually finally responds to their call. And so it's easy for us in these situations while we're watching these movies it's easy for us to say, if I had superhuman speed or, or superhuman ability, I'd go and do 
this. If I was in this situation, if I had this special power, this is what I would go and do. And see, if you were to ask me if I was Spider-Man, what I would do with his profound ability, I'd tell you straight up, I'd go join the NBA. I would go join the American Basketball League, get drafted, and I'd play one game just with my spider-like abilities. Just think about it. Super speed, I could jump like anything. I could dunk over Kobe. I could, I could do it all. I'd take my profound ability to the NBA. And see, if there's five things, you, if you were to come up with me and ask me, what, what five things would you like to do in your life? Right? I could tell you straight off the bat that I'd love to be in a boy band. I would love to be in a boy band. I'd also really uh, like to be Spider-Man. I could tell you that straight off the bat. Another thing I'd like to be, I'd love to be the guy at the fish shop that scoops out the fish for people. You know when you go into the fish shop to get fish and you're like, I really want that fish? I'd love to be the guy that scoops out fish for people. I think that would be fantastic. I'd also really like to be Richie off The Bachelor, but I know I can't physically be somebody else. But I'd love to play in the NBA. So with this ability, if I was Spider-Man, I'd go and join the NBA. And you see... My NBA career, my basketball career, it actually dates back rather extensively. Uh, I actually play NBA 2K16 online. Uh, my nickname is White Mamba, if you want to follow me. And I'm a six foot seven point guard. It's fantastic. I have the best three-point percentage in the whole league. So that's where it kind of dates back, but there's probably something else you don't know about me. Uh, and for those of you who have known me for a while, you know that I'm pretty keen on my soccer, but uh, one thing that I used to be really keen on and still really keen on is that I was kind of into musicals. In fact, when I was in grade 7 in 2009, I was actually in this musical, and you might have heard about it. Uh, It's been a big deal for a while. It's a Disney musical called High School Musical. Um, And in High School Musical, you would know if you knew about the plot, uh, Zac Efron is in High School Musical, and he he plays this guy called Troy Bolton. And Troy Bolton falls in love with this girl called Gabriella Montez, and, and Troy's this superstar basketball jock, and then you have Gabriella, who's like the brainiac academic student who's just kind of slotted into the scene out of nowhere. And ultimately, they fall in love over their music. And you're probably thinking, well, like, that's the musical, that's how it turned out. So, Riley, what character do you play, surely? Surely you played Zac Efron's character, Troy Bolton. And you know what? I did not. I actually played basketball boy number 22. Now, you're probably thinking, basketball boy number 22, that means there was 21 other basketball boys before you, Riley, and if you're thinking that, you'd be correct. In fact, there was 21 other basketball boys before me, except basketball boy number 22 had a special role to play in the finale of this musical. You see, in the finale of the musical, there was this one shot that had to happen in order to make the whole film. And in this shot, my part as basketball boy number 22, was to pass the ball to the guy who was playing Troy Bolton. It was pretty straightforward. We had the choreography down pat. This was the finale night to set the scene for you. We'd done five shows and we nailed it every time. But in this last performance, I don't know what it was, but for some reason, I just froze in the moment when I was meant to pass the guy playing Troy Bolton the ball. Meanwhile, the commentator on the side of the stage called the game and this guy who was the commentator was saying, here he goes, Troy Bolton, full the shot. And instead of the spotlight being on Troy Bolton in the finale, the spotlight was on me. I held the ball. I had no idea what to do, but the number one rule in musical theatre is that you have to improvise. So what did I do? I took the shot. I took the shot, not knowing what would actually happen. The idea of the shot was to simply lob the ball so it goes off stage to make it look like that Troy Bolton scored the winning three. Now, I had the ball, so I knew I couldn't do that, but I know my best effort was to at least make it look like that I won the game for them. So here's basketball boy number 22 with the ball. I take the shot, and it's a beautiful shot. Now, I'm pretty good with my three-pointers, but my stance, the, the technique, everything was down pat. And I take the shot, 
and the ball's going high. It's going nice and high, and the ball continued to go high, and then the ball actually hit a stage light. The stage light actually reflects out into the audience, hits them like a spotlight. The ball then hits another light. The ball comes down on one of our settings, our prop. We have a locker side stage. The ball seemingly comes down on top of the locker, makes a loud smash. The ball rolls over the locker, knocking over a pot plant. Why there was a pot plant on the locker, I have no idea. And then the ball just comes to this dead stop on the stage. Meanwhile, everyone turns to me. I still have the spotlight on me. And then that's the finale. That's the scene. It was a fail on a spectacular level. It was a fail in front of a crowd of people that were blinded by a spotlight that I had hit with my basketball. And see, here's uh, the thing. How am I meant to ever play in the NBA? How am I meant to take these winning shots if I can't even take the shot in high school musical? See, heroes don't fail ordinarily, and in no way am I calling myself a hero, but heroes don't fail ordinarily. See, heroes' acts are always extraordinary. Heroes fail extraordinarily. And see, in light of that, I, I want to uh, talk to you about this guy. But before I do that, this guy, just going off his stats, right, his stats pretty much show that he sucks. In fact, he has some of the worst NBA stats in the history of the game. And just to read a couple for you, he has the worst shooting percentage in a playoff game. He has the worst three-point contest record out of the whole of the NBA over the time that the All-Stars games have been around. He's missed over 9,000 shots. He has lost over 300 games. He's given the ball away 26 times in his career. Oh, he's been given the ball, sorry, 26 time, times in his career to take the game-winning shot, to take that Troy Bolton moment, and he has missed. He was cut from his high school basketball team and he went on to be one of the biggest heroes of the sports entertainment world. You see, Michael Jordan himself says that failure was his greatest success. You're probably thinking, if I was cut from my high school basketball team and my passion in life, my big goal, my big vision for where I wanted to end it up was the NBA then you'd probably be a little bit hesitant and even trying to pursue your career any further. But the thing about Michael Jordan is that MJ harvested his gifts. He harvested his gifts and his undiscovered gifts. He claimed it and then he showed it. He showed it knowing that he could and knowing that he would fail. That in the midst of embarrassment, adversity of trials and tribulations and the isolation of, of pain, that these heroes don't play off chance. They don't play off luck to get them to where they want to be. You see, heroes rise. Heroes dare greatly and fail spectacularly. Heroes fear not knowing, not disappointment. See, heroes act off this idea of once you know, you show. And this is where we get to our second stage of our Hero 101 blueprint. That heroes know to discover the principles for fulfilling your potential. And then their next step is to show it, to learn how to model the principles so others can then see them at work. That heroes owe it to themselves to show and to learn from their mistakes. In order to do that, they grow. They have to learn from their failures. And to know to the extent of the potential is one thing, but to put it in show is actually a step above. It's putting it into action. And if we look at Superman, 
You see, Superman knows he's got super strength. Superman knows that he could very easily pick up a truck. But Superman is not showing his potential to his full extent by entering himself in a weightlifting contest, one which he would know he would win. Superman uh, isn't showing his potential to his extent if he's going to hire himself out as a handyman just to go around to people's houses to pop open their pickle jars. That's not to his full extent. See, to know the extent of the potential is one thing, but to put it into action and to put it on show is a step above. See, once you know, you show. It's what heroes do. It's how heroes learn. You probably at church tonight, and this is your first time at church, or if you haven't stepped into a church for a while or haven't been to church before, you're probably thinking, well, okay, well, here it comes. Here's the Christian bit. Riley's going to blurt out that, you know, Jesus is the superhero of the world or something like that. And as much as I could give you that answer in I don't know how or some way or form, I want to instead look at this story of this guy who is actually a real superhero of the Bible. In fact, by superhero, I mean that this guy actually had superhuman ability. He had some superhuman strength. He's probably the closest thing uh, to a superhero movie in terms of the Bible. And this guy was called Samson. See, Samson had this supernatural strength. He performed these heroic feats with a, a luscious set of hair, indeed. And he was actually sent by God to oppose this Philistine oppression that was happening in Israel. And in Judges 13, verse 5, it says, and this is what God said to uh, Samson's parents at the time, For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now some uh, key things to point out in that verse is that it says, uh, The boy shall be a Nazarite. A Nazarite was one who was devoted to God. That Their divine purpose was to be lived through what God had planned for them. Secondly, this idea that no razor shall come upon his head, that he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of Philistine, that Samson was actually commanded not to cut his hair. For this is where God had planned for him to, uh, sorry, for this is where uh, his strength would come, that his divine purpose will actually be to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Philistines and not to cut his hair. For this is how he will devote uh, his life, a life of truth, a quest of destiny, And if he was to cut his hair, this would be walking away from this path that had been planned for him. And if you kind of dive further and further into the story of Samson, you'll find out that Samson was a lot like Chuck Norris. Samson was a real Chuck Norris type of guy. His extraordinary abilities allowed for him to uh, have these extraordinary victories. One victory, which I'm still trying to wrap my head over, is that Samson actually killed a thousand Philistines. He killed an entire Philistine army with the jawbone of a donkey. Now, I don't know if you've seen the Avengers. You know how there's Captain America, he's got his shield, and then there's, you know, the Hulk, he's got his big green hands. You've got Iron Man that does the old pew, pew, pew thing. And then you've got Arrow Man. I don't, I don't know what Arrow Man's called. Hawkeye or something. Like, he just shoots arrows. Like, he's not very effective, but he's there. Like, he's doing something. You've got Scarlett Johansson, just Scarlett Johansson, which is great to have in the team. Right? You've got, these, you've got this team of people... And then imagine Samson there standing with his jawbone of a donkey and just whacking through Philistines, knocking out a thousand of them. Killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. He was just this ultimate warrior and he dominated Israel for over 20 years. See, Samson had this ability. He knows his gifts and purpose, so he shows it. It's his divine purpose. He was this ultimate warrior. 
And one day, uh, Samson was walking through this vineyard. He's actually on his way to, to marry this Philistine uh, woman. And he was isolated and he was vulnerable. And during this time, a lion jumped out and attacked him. A lion jumped out and attacked him. I don't know what you would do in the face of a lion, but my initial reaction would probably be some form of hesitation. But this is how it went down. This is uh, what it says. It judges 14 verse 6, if you want to follow along. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, came mightily upon Samson, and he tore the animal as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. That he tore this lion apart, as you and I would apparently tear apart a young goat, I couldn't even imagine what that would look like, with nothing in his hands, just with his bare hands. If you look at this, Samson in a time of isolation and complete vulnerability, complete, uh, completely defenseless to this lion, no weapon at all, was given the might to tear a lion apart, just as one would tear apart a young goat. No weapon, just his hands. In complete surrender to himself, the spirit of the Lord who sought for Samson to seek out the extent of his quest, which reaped uh, this bounty of unlimited potential that God had just showed him the extent of his potential through killing this lion. In the face of the lion, he did not hesitate. In fact, he surrendered and he conquered. You're probably asking, well, you know, Samson's clearly got this awesome strength. Where's that weakness, though? And of course, Samson actually did have a kryptonite himself. See, he had two vulnerabilities that were two vulnerabilities that probably any uh, teenage boy could share with. It was the fact that he was actually, uh, had an incredible weakness to girls and also his hair. In fact, uh, his hair, his long hair, without which uh, Samson actually thought, if he cut it, oh, sorry, without which he thought he was powerless. Without his hair, he thought he was powerless. His weakest point in the midst of this and his vulnerability to women was his desires and his lust. See, the lion killed by Samson showed him that the same might, the same vulnerability, his ability to, to take a risk, to surrender, that he could discipline his desires and actually control his soul. That it was within Samson's potential to kill the lion in his life, that desire and lust, which provided him only temporary uh, pleasure and temporary satisfaction. Even though regret played in the back of his mind, it was something he could so easily fall into, even though he knew that it wasn't part of this bigger picture quest in which he was on. See, to kill the lion, which was leading and directing him off this quest of truth, off this quest of divine purpose, which was set in place. See, Samson continued to have uh, these relationships, and eventually uh, he actually met with this woman called, this woman, sorry, called Delilah. And Delilah was actually working with the Philistines. And she was paid to find out what Samson's kryptonite was, what this secret was, how to defeat this Nazarite. And Samson so badly wanted to believe at the time that Delilah loved him, that, that he would continue to fall into his deceptive ways again, deceptive ways of Delilah. She, uh, Samson told Delilah that it was in fact his hair, it was his hair that would give him his strength. And as soon as Delilah found that out, uh, he was, uh, his hair was cut while he slept and the Philistines captured him and put him to work in labor. And maybe you're probably thinking to yourself in this situation, if I was in this situation, this is how I would deal with it. Like, why didn't Samson learn? Of course his desires and lusts would get in the way of where he should end up. Of course it would get in the way of this hero's journey that was set 
This is how I would deal with it. I wouldn't step into the temptations. I wouldn't step into the desire or lust. But see, when we choose a path like Samson, when we choose this path that, that leads us to fall into a quest for temporary satisfaction, we actually leave our quest for truth. We leave our quest for actually trying to find out what this potential is that's lying at the end of our path. And that our own wrongdoing, our own regret, will inevitably direct you to a destination as a result of that past. And sometimes we get caught up in these things in, in the spur of the moment. But we choose not to play off risks or aim for discomfort or aim to be in these positions of vulnerability because there's serious discomfort in these places. That's not where we want to end up, but ultimately we'll never end up where we want to get if we don't take risks, if we don't put ourselves in situations where we feel challenged. See, we procrastinate. We procrastinate an important phone call or a conversation that actually needs to be had with somebody. Or we implement tasks to distract us. We hesitate in the face of our line. And instead of confronting it, we, we take the safer, the simpler path and tell ourselves we'll, we'll take it on another day. We'll take it on when we feel within our comfort. We'll take it on at a time when we feel like we're prepared, when we're ready. We won't surrender to it now, but... One day, one day, I'll take on that line. Meanwhile, we just continue to be dishonest to ourselves and dishonor to other people. I don't know if you've ever been in a job before where someone's asked you how it's going and you just tell them, yeah, no, it's going good, it's going great, but you really feel miserable about the position that you're in. You're really not enjoying yourself because ultimately the job that you really want to be in is this bigger picture goal, it's this bigger picture aim that you think is impossible or that you think might be just impossible to even step into, or the fear of failure is coming in, the fear of disappointment is coming in. So ultimately, you sell yourself off short, and you become this dishonest salesman. And so you don't need to be someone who rocks up to church every week. You don't need to be this churched person to know who you are and who you were made to be. See, Samson's calling from birth, and if we look at his account and his story, his downfall with Delilah and this ultimate fail that we could just wrap his life up in. That we could pretty much say that Samson's life was just this wasted life, that he was a fail, yet he still actually accomplished his mission. He still actually accomplished his quest. And John 16, verse 29, it actually uh, gives a bit of a presentation of how this uh, hero's journey actually came to conclusion, how it actually had resolution. See, Samson was imprisoned, and then... uh, just to give you a setting, he was taken to this uh, temple, this pagan temple of the Philistines, to be put on show, to be put on as a performance. The Bible says, Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars of this temple on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. He pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed more Philistines when he died than when he lived. He killed more Philistines in that temple in the, in when he died than his entire 20-year reign over Israel. See, Samson surrendered himself to conquer his greatest line, yet the ability to surrender to that call. That call that us, we are so hesitant to step into. The call that our heroes at the start of the journey seemingly refuse. Similarly, we can say that in our life, we seemingly lead 
ourselves to the place we want to get to one day. That we tell ourselves that it'll all work out. That that big dream, that big thing I have put in place, that'll just work out. I'll be able to get there somehow. But see, a part of being a hero and a part of this whole hero's journey is that it's a hero's direction, not intention, that gets them to where they want to be. This is when we dive into the third stage of this blueprint of how to hero. That heroes go. Heroes actually roll up their sleeves and go out and live what they've learned. Heroes go because they have a why, a reason to wake up. They have a reason to beat their alarm clock because they have a purpose to wake up to every day. Heroes always strive for extraordinary. Heroes wake up on Monday and they're excited. Heroes don't have hump days in the middle of the week. They don't have time for hump days. Heroes wake up and they just grind. They grind on Monday, Tuesday, they get through on Wednesday, they're still pumping. Thursday, Friday, they're on the top of their toes. By the weekend, they're smashed again and they put themselves in the same situation on Monday. Heroes are constantly grinding. See, heroes get up and go so they can grow. And the fourth and final stage of this hero's journey of how to hero that heroes grow. Heroes experience living at the full of their potential. They're continually assessing their progress. And this is how our heroes carve out this unforgettable legacy. This is how they're remembered. And see, if you've seen uh, movies where there's this resurrection hero, if you think of Lord of the Rings, if you sat through and had a marathon of that where you just pump yourself over 12 hours or however much footage there is, you know the story of the little hobbit Frodo who left the Shire walked his way all the way over to Mordor to drop a ring in a volcano. And you've got to think, that same hobbit that dropped the ring in the volcano, that by the time he came back to the Shire, he was not the same hobbit. That our hero upgrades themselves. They update themselves by taking these risks. They, and then they put themselves back in this cycle. They grow, and then they go back to unharvesting their gifts. They know, they show their gifts again, and then they go again, only to continue to grow. See, heroes lurk for risk. Heroes lurk for challenge. Heroes lurk for situations of vulnerability because they can grow. So I want to challenge you. The the path that you're on right now, the path that you're constantly travelling in in light of your work situation or, or wherever you are, the path that you're on right now, do you know and are you putting on show your gifts to their full potential, these harvested gifts? Do you know what that gift is? Do you know what makes you special? What makes you unique from everybody else? And are you putting those gifts on show in the position that you are in? And if you answer yes or no to that question, oh, I just want to ask you, are, are you satisfied with that? Are you satisfied with how much you're putting on show? Are you satisfied that you might know what that gift is? Or are you in a position where you're seemingly satisfied because in light of your lifestyle, in light of work, in light of family, in light of your financial situation, you're satisfied and you're content. See, heroes understand they have limits in what they do, but they understand that their potential is unlimited. And ultimately, it's not what happens in life that defines you. It's how we actually respond to what happens that define who we are. And that's something that acts outside of this superhero realm. So I challenge you, how can you best prepare yourself for these defining moments? These moments or situations that you're going to be placed in 
where you might need to know, where you'll need to discover the principles for fulfilling your God-given potential. These situations where you might actually have to harvest your, your undiscovered gifts and then claim them. How can you best prepare yourself for these defining moments where you'll have to put them on show? Where you'll have to learn how to model the principles so, so others can see them at work? How can you best prepare yourself for these situations to actually dare greatly and fail spectacularly? Fear not knowing and not disappointment. How can you best prepare yourself for these defining moments where you'll then have to get up from the possibility of failure, to roll up your sleeves and go. To go out and live what you've learned, to forgive yourself of past mistakes, to actually pay it backward. How will you best prepare yourself for the defining moment when you'll have to kill your lion? And ultimately, what will this look like for you? How can you prepare yourself for this moment where you actually experience growth? When you grow, what would that mean to you? What would that look like for you? What will your next step be then? Experience living in the full of your potential. What will it look like for you to carve out this unforgettable legacy? See, to admit fear, it's, it's often something that puts us in this position of neutrality or we become paralyzed. We don't want to step back into to anything that we really enjoyed before because we're fearful that we'll fail again. So to admit to fear... To admit to a fear of failure, sorry, is it becomes this plague that's, that's worse than death. So I ask you, how can you step outside of that realm? We do this thing at Beyond called Four Monday because we believe what's the point in coming to church on Sunday if it's not going to change you for Monday? And I have two questions. One question is actually, one question, sorry, is actually uh, for people, if you identify yourself as a Christian or if you're someone that's been rallying along to church for a while, if you've been on this journey, then... I want you just to, just to connect in just with this first question. And then if you're someone that's not really big on the whole Bible or Christian thing, I have something else for you as well. But just this first question. If you're someone that identifies yourself as a, as a Christian, sorry, I want to ask you, what would it look like to surrender and respond to your call? What would it look like for you to, res- for you to surrender and to respond to your call? To surrender from distractions, to surrender from excuses, to surrender from being hesitant, to surrender from being this dishonest salesman, not to others, but to yourself, because you actually owe it to yourself to be honest about the situation that you're currently in. What would it look like for you to surrender and respond to your call? What would it look like for you to kill a lion with your bare hands? If you're someone that's, you know, just jumped into church at the same time, I'd love to challenge you with this question. And ultimately, just everyone in general, this is a question that's just an awesome one to ask, just to provide perspective. But what is the one thing you would do? What is the one thing you would do knowing that you could not fail, but only succeed? What is the one thing in the entirety of your life, this short time span that you have on life, knowing that time is your most valuable aspect, it's the one thing that you cannot make up for? What is the one thing you would do knowing you could not fail but only succeed? What will be your legacy? What will be your story? What lines do you need to kill in order to get to the place you want to get to? What lines do you need to kill next in order to best prepare yourself for the next line. 
And I want to challenge you that in this bigger picture of heroes. See, heroes are always ready to take the game-winning shot. Heroes will always call for the ball. Heroes will even get the ball. They'll take the shot. They'll take the shot knowing that they could miss, but they still take the shot. Because heroes will always rise above. Heroes will always know that their next failure will be their greatest success. What does that mean for you to kill your line? We're going to wrap up in a time of prayer now. So if you'd like to bow your heads or do anything, do whatever you do. And just as we do that, I'd love to invite the band up as well. That'd be fantastic. Dear God, I just pray in moments we feel stationary, Lord, or moments we feel stagnant in direction that, God, we can feel challenged to ask how we can best step into our potential. That, Lord, we can claim our harvested gifts, and Lord, that we can look forward to actually finding these undiscovered gifts. God, we can feel excited in knowing the extent of our abilities. That to show them may be a risk or may cause discomfort, but ultimately, Lord, we know that our failure only spurs our potential to reach greatness. Lord, I pray over those who, who feel hesitant to rise. And I just pray that they can, can overcome the adversity of, of achieving what they want to do in life, Lord, and what we want to do in life, Lord. And I pray that we can feel compelled to, to kill whatever line is in our way. And I can pray that we can be excited that how killing that line will prepare us for our next. There's such a freedom in, in being honest to oneself. That when we feel times when we're restricted by what we truly just don't see in ourselves, that, Lord, that we can fall back and then we can see where our potential lies. That, Lord, we can walk in an adventure, in a quest of truth, in a quest of purpose, knowing that we may be ordinary people, but we can perform extraordinary things. One of those things is performing extraordinary failures, but, Lord, that just shows extraordinary growth. That, Lord, that we're never content with just being satisfied. We're never being satisfied just with the simple pleasures that we know we will regret or take us off course. But God, that we know that our, that our might comes from someone so far greater than that of ourselves. So far greater than disappointment. So far greater than failure. And we pray that in your name. Amen.